Who's in charge at Henson? Who do I blame when I'm not happy? Well, Anthony Locke, one of our lay elders, uh, you, you can blame him. No, I mean, he, uh, he's the, you can blame him or me for this episode because Anthony and I have a conversation about authority in the church. And as we seek to look at God's word to see how to structure our life together, um, that's what Anthony's tackling. Essentially, he's trying to boil down the entire Henson residency, which is, as many of you know, tons of books read, lots of papers written, tons of discussions had about authority in the church um, into one episode. So he's boiling it all down and you get to listen to the entire Henson residency uh, through uh, Anthony at this conversation with Anthony and I um, look at the podcast notes for further resources, particularly when it comes to congregationalism and how uh, staff, elders and deacons play in. Let us know if you have any questions and we hope that you are helped. Anthony Locke, welcome back to the Disciple Henson podcast. It is great to be back. Uh, uh, so what was the last thing that you and I talked about on this podcast? Remind me, refresh my memory. We talked about the meta universe. We talked about video games and its place in the Christian life. Those were some of our hottest episodes. And uh, you're back with another hot one today. What is congregationalism? Woo. Well, we're going to talk about not just congregationalism, but just uh, leadership and authority in the church. Uh, You taught on this in the Welcome to Henson class uh, a few weeks back. Uh, So thank you for having this conversation. Yeah. Um, So who's in charge at church at Henson? Who's the big kahuna? The big kahuna is uh, nothing less than the chief shepherd himself, Jesus Christ. Correct answer, man. You would you would kill it in third grade Sunday school. Woo. Yep. Um, but what about under Christ? Uh, who like makes the decisions in the church? Who is responsible? Um, who has the authority um, under Christ? Yeah. This this is a question that has uh, has been a conversation in the church between different denominations throughout church history. Um, So all churches would say that Jesus is the head of the church, but churches locate final authority in different places. So uh, for example, Roman Catholics put final authority in the church or Presbyterians in the Presbytery and general assemblies. Um, Many churches on the West Coast, Bible churches would put, would locate final authority in the elders. Uh, But here at Henson, we are a congregational church, and so uh, congregationalism is the New Testament belief that final authority under God in the local church resides with the congregation as a whole. So, uh, So Michael doesn't make all the decisions, or he's not ultimately responsible for this church? Michael is not, though perhaps there are times when he would like to be Michael very firmly <laughs> or is, not like to be or not like to be. Michael is a uh, is a congregationalist and so he very much believes in final authority locating in the church he believes in the plurality of elders and so um, and and I 
and I and, and yourself, we, we've seen that commitment displayed in various ways over the years. Certainly have, yeah. So anything else to define what congregationalism is? Uh, it sounds like something out of uh, Nathaniel Hawthorne, like a novel or something from, you know, the colonial days of America. Uh, what is congregationalism? You, I think you already kind of defined it, but anything else to say about kind of what it is? Yeah, I, I, you know, we, 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 I just listed off different ways churches locate final authority, but mm. I, I think there, there is a way where all churches are congregational because uh, the members of the church can vote, whether it's uh, in different ways. So to, to, to vote or to exercise decision-making ability in the church is not confined to yay or nay. Uh, people often vote, whether with their with their hands, whether their, their willingness to maybe serve in a church. Um, people often vote with their pocketbooks, so maybe if a church member isn't happy with something, they will divert giving to a, a different place. Um, so I think we would say congregationalism is a bit like like gravity it, it's there um, the members of the church uh, feel a responsibility for the church's membership and for the church's doctrine whether or not they have the ability to do so and so when we say we're congregational uh, we we're making formal or we're making visible what we think um, the New Testament has um, first outlined but also just kind of the way churches work in general. Like all churches we think are congregational in practice, even if their bylaws or whatnot might indicate something else. So Henson is congregational um, because we just think that's the reality of things, but you also said because it's a biblical conviction, where would you go? Is there like a proof text in scripture to, to make the argument that the final authority under Christ should be in the congregation? Yeah, and yeah, and we'll, we'll, let's turn to a couple texts, but before we do that, um, it's, how, do, how would I put it? Um, you know, congregationalism, we think, arises out of biblical text. So you'll be, we live in the United States of America, uh, we live in a democratic republic. And so that's so, where it comes from. <laughs> That's what I want to make clear is that even though there, you know, there may appear to be some similarities and parallels with our government structure, actually the church is organized in a way that is different from what we see in our government. And, and we do see these marching orders not as a mirror of the Constitution or of living in a constitutional republic, hmm. but we see these coming out of the Bible. Okay. The, okay, so where in the Bible would you say? You said a few texts. So there are, are a couple passages that are, are really foundational for establishing where we think final authority is located and how it moved from Jesus himself to the apostles and to the congregation. So the first passage that we would look at is Matthew chapter 16. And uh, I'll go ahead and read... The, the section, Matthew 16, um, we'll start reading in verse 13. This is Peter's confession of the Messiah. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, 
he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, uh, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But you, he asked them, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus responded, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth, you will have bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will have been loosed in heaven. And so here, uh, so, so Peter confesses, uh, Jesus is the Messiah. This is a revelation given uh, to Peter from, from God himself. And then Jesus says that uh, you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church. Um, and so uh, Jesus, who is the chief shepherd, uh, appears here to be delegating authority to Peter to uh, exercise what verse 19 says, uh, the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And then, so that language there, whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will have been loosed in heaven. Um, but Matthew 16 is not the, the only place we would go to because we see that this authority to exercise the keys to, of the kingdom to, to bind and loose uh, here in Matthew 16 was given to, to Peter, the, the apostle. But if we, uh, and if we flip over to Matthew chapter 18, we see that uh, Jesus gives further instructions on what binding and loosing looks like and who should be doing that. So in Matthew chapter 18, let's look at uh, verse 15 through 20. If your brother sins against you, go and rebuke him in private. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. But if he won't listen, take one or two others with you so that by the testimony of two or three witnesses, every fact may be established. If he doesn't pay attention to them, tell the church. If he doesn't pay attention even to the church, let him be like a Gentile and a tax collector to you. Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will have been loosed in heaven. Again, truly, I tell you, if two of you on earth agree with any matter that you pray for, it will be done for you by the Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there among them. So some similarities I noticed between Matthew 16 and 18. There you have the, the binding and the loosing. Um, you have, uh, you know, this, this idea of the church, Jesus talking about the church here in Matthew 18, 17, just as he did in, in verse 16. So how, how, would we, how should we tie this together? What, is, what, is this, what are the keys and what, what's going on with this binding and loosing and how does that relate to authority in the church? Yeah, so in, in Matthew 16, uh, Peter gives a right confession of who Jesus is. And so uh, Jesus, in turn, says, Peter, on this rock, I will, I will build my church. And so uh, we, would, we would say, coming out of Matthew 16 and Matthew 18 first, that uh, binding and loosing first is in reference to um, discerning a right confession of faith as revealed by uh, by the Father who is in heaven. Mm -hmm. And then in Matthew 18, we see that the keys are not just given to Peter or the apostles, but is extended to the church because it is the church who has uh, final authority to, to bind and to loose. And so 
not only is right profession of who Jesus is, but in Matthew 18, the context is primarily in how someone is living. If someone is living um, in response to a right confession of faith, are they living in such a way where um, it's consistent with what, um, are they living in such a way that's consistent with their profession of faith? And so uh, the the church, the membership of the church is responsible for uh, discerning first uh, a right confession of of who Jesus is and also right living in response to who Jesus is. And so the keys of the kingdom, exercising the keys of the kingdom is, um, is, is, is every member has the authority and the responsibility to clarify what right confession and right living looks like under Christ's authority. So is that, um, so how would that, the keys then be, how would you connect that to what we call uh, church membership and what we certainly see in other texts of the New Testament of church discipline? Like how could make that connection for me? Yeah. So the, the keys to the kingdom are, are given to the church to clarify the gospel, clarify mm-hmm. a gospel witness. So uh, the church... Uh, as an institution established by Jesus is supposed to clarify the gospel for different audiences. It's supposed to be able uh, to tell the world this is what a Christian looks like. And it's a church that tells the world this is what a Christian looks like because the keys have been given to the church. Uh, The church is supposed to clarify the gospel to its own membership and say, hey, this is what it looks like. This is what it means to be a Christian, to uh, to persevere in the faith. And uh, and then it uh, it clarifies the gospel for individuals, Mm -hmm. um, individuals who are are joining a church, individuals who are disciplined out of a church. And so uh, so the keys are connected to church membership because um, the keys give the church its ecclesial shape. It, it helps the world and the church members and the individual discern to the best of, according to scripture, mm-hmm. and to the best of our ability, who is a Christian and who is not a Christian. Um, and so uh, we exercise the keys regularly here in our church. Um, so for example, when we bring new members into the church, uh, the, the elders are in some ways responsible f- to discern whether someone is, has a right understanding of the gospel and is living in a way that is broadly consistent with scripture. And then we make a recommendation to the congregation to bring that person in because when we bring someone into membership what we are saying is we are saying we believe that based on the tools God has given us that this person is a is a believer is is a Christian and and we are we are willing to hold that person accountable in love to that profession of faith um, which is generally made clear and expressed in baptism. Mm -hmm. Um, And then when we exercise church discipline, what we are saying is we had previous, like we had brought this person into membership 
um, understanding this person to be a believer, but for whatever reason, this person has called that profession of faith into question. And so um, when we exercise church discipline, we are saying we as a church, as an institution, as its members, no longer have confidence that an individual is, uh, we don't have confidence, we can't in clear conscience say, hey, look, world, hey, look, church, hey, look, individual, mm-hmm. you are a Christian and you should have you know, confidence and assurance of, of faith in that. Um, we, we, are, we are warning that person and by putting them out of membership um, and saying, hey, like, this doesn't mean we don't think you're a Christian, but they're in, in heaven's eyes because we don't have that kind of authority. But what we are saying is, based on what God has given to us and revealed to us, uh, your your soul is in peril, and you may be self-deceived in your understanding of who Jesus is and what it looks like to follow him. So just to um, simplify what you just said, you're saying that here at Henson we practice church discipline, but ultimately it's the congregation that has the, the final say under Christ on whether to remove someone from membership as an act of discipline. Um, is that correct? Yeah, we, 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 we can say to a member in good faith and clear conscience that the elders of the church or the staff pastors of the church cannot and will not remove you unilaterally from the congregation because, mm-hmm. again, we do think the congregation is... Each member of the church, which makes up the congregation, is responsible to discern uh, right profession of faith and uh, what it looks like to, to broadly walk in a way that is consistent with what Scripture has revealed. So let's get to brass tacks here. What kind of things could I be disciplined for, Ensign? You can be disciplined for uh, things that are uh, clear and obvious in uh, in scripture, so there are some things that, if uh, where the where both the heart motive and the actions are clear, we would say, um, and there is a there is a characteristic unrepentance coming along with that, that that would be grounds for discipline. Um, there are a number of other sins. Uh, that are much more difficult and challenging to discipline for, and and in wisdom we we would not likely pursue certain things. Um, you know, throughout church history, people have tried to like quantify, for example, uh, try to quantify greed as something to discipline for. So there's stories in church history where if someone charged like larger than uh, you know if like they they capped profit margins for products at four percent. And so if the church found out you were charging, you had 6% profit margins or 8% profit margins, they would say, ah, this is, this is above and beyond what is required, and you would be disciplined for that. But um, here at Henson, we are looking to, uh, when we think about clear gospel witness, we are, uh, we're looking for things that are our actions and, and things that are uh, obviously against what scripture says and there being a characteristic unrepentance for what scripture has clearly revealed. And I think that second part is pretty key, right? Um, because we all sin in many ways, um, often in clear ways. Uh, but 
the the desire like church discipline and this is not an episode on church discipline so we're not going to go down a rabbit trail we're talking about authority in the church but just for our new members or for those who this idea is foreign to them um you know we'd recommend the the little um, nine marks book on church discipline to, to explore more but we the goal of church discipline is not a it, finally a justice matter or punitive but um, to restore an unrepentant member, member in, back into fellowship, to warn them of the, the danger and how they're not uh, being a clear witness, as you were talking about, of, of Christ. They, their, their life is not being that, con, that confession of who, who Christ is. And so we're warning them for both their own soul, for the purity of the church, and also for the clarity of the witness to the world. Um, anything else that you would add there on church discipline? Uh, nope, I don't think so. Um, and you were also making the point earlier that we like vote on members coming into membership, so it's it it's, it cuts both ways, right? We we affirm um, as a congregation a credible profession of faith by by voting on incoming members, and that is a responsibility, uh, an authority that God has entrusted to the church. Yeah. And and you know we could we see that more clearly. Um, kind of in in reverse or the 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 photo negative of that in, in the church discipline teachings and scripture any other texts that would be helpful in understanding the authority that the the congregation has both in in areas of membership and discipline yeah i i would just add one more thing I, the church is also responsible to uh to adhere to faithful doctrine mm, and mm-hmm. so we we saw that process or we we've seen that process play out as we have reviewed the statement of faith um, you know, p- perhaps in other churches where th- where final authority would rest in different places, uh, the leadership or a leadership body outside the church could make decisions for that church uh, without consulting its members. But mm-hmm. here at Hinson, we 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 gave uh, the statement of faith four months to lay over. Mm-hmm. We've had Sunday school classes. Uh, we've had lots of opportunities for conversation because we we want we want uh, we want feedback. Uh, mm-hmm. We want a church and its membership to be like the Bereans in Acts 17, where mm-hmm. Paul goes and he teaches from the scriptures, and then, uh, the, uh, but then those who were hearing him in Berea uh, went back to the scriptures to see if what Paul uh, was saying is true, and and this is, you know, pretty clear in I think Galatians, the book of Galatians, mm-hmm. um, Paul does not write that book to the leaders of the church, but. Um, he says in Galatians 1 verse 6, I am amazed that you are so quickly turning away from him who called you by his grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another gospel, but there are some who are troubling you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, a curse be on him. As we have said before, I now say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, a curse be on him. And so Paul here, he's he's uh, not so gently rebuking the church of Galatia for tolerating a distortions of the gospel. And so mm-hmm. um, this isn't just a leadership thing. Uh, the members of the church are responsible to uh, hold to, to expect faithful teaching and to hold their leadership accountable to what we see is clear in scripture. That's really helpful. 
anything else you would say about congregationalism before we think about how uh, elders, deacons, staff fit into kind of how the church is run and how decisions are made in the church? Yeah, I think we'll touch about this a little bit as we think about elders, but um, you know, I, I'm congregationalism works in an environment where there is a sense of of trust, mm-hmm. uh, trust from the elders to the congregation, mm-hmm. and trust for the congregation to the elders. Now, trust does not mean you cannot ask questions. Mm-hmm. Trust does not mean that um, that. There, there is no room for dissent or for differing opinions, but broadly speaking, um, you know, especially as we think more about uh, the role of elders in the life of a church, mm-hmm. um, congregationalism as a whole works when there is, generally speaking, a, a trust between congregation and elders that, uh, that we are all, by, based on the Spirit and the Word of God, uh, Doing, putting forth a good faith effort to live life faithfully as, as Christians. Yeah, and I think, um, I hope that, that was, there was a good demonstration of that just even recently here at Henson through the statement of faith process, where, you know, I, I, I would hope that the congregation would think that it was a good back and forth of receiving feedback on the statement of faith, receiving questions, and then com- bringing it to, uh, a majority or a two-thirds vote of a decision that we make as a church family. Um, even though some maybe had issues with it, you know, we still support the the decision of the majority of the church as a whole and uh, seek to uh, show humility, trust, and love in that process. Um, and that would be on a doctrine matter, but certainly we, we do that with members and discipline issues. Um, but what about like um, if we're going to support a missionary or like w- maybe there's a, a supported worker or we're trying to decide how expensive and nice of microphones or a soundboard to get or um, other everyday decisions that a church has to make um, in order to function? How does congregationalism, how does uh, our thinking um go here on those kinds of decisions so uh, as we look at the new testament and as we think i think practically i don't think it's thinking pragmatically but there there are um there are responsibilities given to different groups of people in the church to see the whole church mature and grow in faith. And so you mentioned uh, three groups in addition to the congregation where we would say final authority lies, particularly in uh, issues of its membership and doctrine. Mm-hmm. Um, but as you mentioned, we have, we, have, we have elders, so we would say we are a congregational church, and we would also say we are an elder-led congregational church those two things aren't in conflict elder led and congregationally congreg we're congregational and elder led it seems like are the how are those not two different things an oxymoron so yeah so as we think about what you know as we think about what it looks like to live faithfully f- for all the scripture we, mm-hmm. we, ha- we see what we see in matthew 16 mm-hmm. and matthew 18 
And we also see, um, particularly in the book of Acts and in the New Testament letters, that uh, that God has God has, has revealed a, a pattern or a, a, a pattern for for churches. And so we see that uh, the apostles are uh, placing. So see the apostles appoint elders in churches mm-hmm. as the church gets established. Mm-hmm. But we also see uh, Paul telling other non-apostles to appoint elders in the church. And so we begin to see a pattern in the New Testament that individual local churches should have uh, a, a a leadership structure. There's a leadership structure. There There is a aspirationally there should be multiple elders in a local church and so uh so we yes we would say final authority does lie with the congregation but we also see later on that the bible clearly establishes the offices of elder and deacon to um so that for the church is good so that the church might flourish and so at a basic level, we certainly wouldn't, we would say elder-led congregational is not a contradiction because the teaching of elders is is crystal clear in the New Testament. Now, now how that authority overlaps and works, that's a, a another conversation, but certainly, um, certainly, yeah, so, so we would say that the church is a, is a, is a mixed, is a mixed government. Um, uh, Christ is the head, it's a, it's a theocracy. Uh, the elders lead the church, um, but unlike, say, our government structure, so so my boss, my human boss, is Ted Wheeler, and uh, the people... Of How my, is Ted as a, as a boss? Or is that, uh, are we not going to talk about that on this episode? Uh, I haven't been in the same room as Ted. You're not the guy putting up the st- stickers, uh, Gas Me Teddy, on the... <laughs> Around Portland? That is not me. That's not you. If you want to talk policy in Portland, I'm happy to chat. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, but you were saying Ted is your human boss. And, and so the, the people of Portland, you know, by a somewhat slim majority, put Ted back in office. And so you one, one could say, whether it's Ted Wheeler or a different politician, that that politician receives his mandate from the people who voted them in mm-hmm. to do the will of, you know, the constituency that put him in the office. Mm-hmm. Um Elders are different, so the congregation votes on elders, um, but ultimately the elders are responsible not to the congregation, though wise elders would certainly listen, listen. Mm-hmm. and would, um, yeah, would, would err on the side of listening and caring and loving the congregation. But the, an elder's authority comes not from the people who invest him with the authority, but from God's word. There you go. From a from a desire to to be faithful to what. Uh, God has revealed to, and, and elders are understood to be um, able to handle God's word and to equip others to handle God's word. So the most important thing that an elder does is the congregation has in, entrusted elders um, to be men of godly character who teach God's word, and they can teach God's word in a variety of contexts. But, um, so, so Anthony, you serve us as a, as an elder, 
Um, and so you're regularly teaching, whether it be on Sundays in classes um, or in small group settings or on Sunday evenings or even, you know, this la- the last couple of years on a Sunday morning here and there. Um, and uh, and you, so that that's would be your primary responsibility. But also as a plurality of elders, you know, we were making recommendations to the church on things like the statement of faith and on membership and discipline issues. And that's what how we have decided to um, structure our leadership is to make recommendations to the church. So, and most members meeting almost all of the motions, if you will, all the decisions mm-hmm. will come from the elders. Right. Um, but then are for the congregation's decision. Yeah. Um, what about, uh, what about staff? Yeah. So, so staff play a, a really important role in the life of, of our church. Uh, staff help facilitate the ministry of the church. Um, and so that that often is kind of the day-to-day work of ministry it's making sure uh the bulletins get printed it's uh it's often helping place people in small groups it's making sure that the the lights are on and the facilities are a place where the ministry of the church uh can can flourish and grow so uh staff often provide they help facilitate ministry. They provide administrative support so that um, the church as an institution can can work well to support the work of its members. So are staff in the Bible, church staff? The answer is uh, aspirationally. Uh, Michael just talked a little bit about just the importance of paying for staff as a church is able. Um, and certainly, we have we have we have staff pastors here who mm-hmm. are able to wholly give themselves to uh, to uh, loving and caring to uh, to the oversight of the church. Uh, versus someone like me, I am neck deep thinking about how if you're a Portland resident, uh, your utility bills are going up above what is forecasted, and I'm doing stuff like that for forty hours a week, and so. Uh, the Bible does say it, you know, those who uh, labor in teaching are worthy of double honor or um, should be able to participate in the good things that the congregation is able to provide. And so we would say staff are, um, there, there certainly is a category for people set aside so they don't have other earthly concerns to help facilitate the work of ministry. And what about deacons? Are deacons in the Bible? Deacons are definitely... In the Bible, um, we see them play kind of distinct roles in redemptive. Well, in like in the in the Book of Acts, they play distinct roles. They meet certain needs, but that but deacons as an office are also established further in a New Testament in the New Testament letters. And so, uh, so deacons are 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 high character, not like in the worldly terms, but just they they, they exemplify they model. Uh, what, what Christian uh, living and discipleship looks like. They're, they're model servants called to meet tangible needs. Uh, deacons uh, organize and mobilize service. They organize the, the members of the church to uh, help either meet practical needs or to, uh, to serve in practical ways to facilitate the ministry of the church. Uh, deacons help preserve the unity of our church. And 
deacons often support the ministry of, of the elders. And, and I think we see in the New Testament that deacons are responsible to help further the mission of the church. Um, now, deacons can do this in a lot of different ways, and that's, and that's kind of what we have laid out here. Here at Hinson, we have deacons who have kind of like unique and distinct jurisdictions where perhaps their, their personal experience, their background, lend themselves to be particularly excellent in, in their field. Um, but just because it's practical, I mean, it, it's, it's practical and it's immensely helpful, and, I, and our church is really well served by the good work our deacons do. Amen. Anthony, we're almost out of time, but can we summarize uh, with lightning round? I have, uh, let's see if we can answer, since we're talking about leadership and authority uh, in the church, what is the congregation's main job? We'll go congregation, elder, staff, deacon. What's their main job or responsibility? The congregation's main responsibility is to do the work of ministry. Mm -hmm. So... Uh, so Ephesians 4 says the, the elders, the, 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 God has given the church many gifts mm-hmm. um, to equip the church to do the work of ministry. So the work of ministry includes um, growing in your, your love for God, perhaps through doctrine, certainly in this faithful living, being in the word, being in prayer, and, and, and helping the members of the church persevere in the Christian life. Sure. Um, that's a good, that's good. And, and maybe to go back to Matthew 16 and 18 to, to the congregation's main job is to rightly represent or confess through word and deed, um, Christ. Um, and, and that's why God established his church. And, you know, you could even go to texts like John 13, they will know that we are Christians by our love for one another and um, and rightly proclaiming Christ through the the preaching and the ordinances. What about the what about the uh, let's go to elders? What's the elders' main job? The elders' responsibility is to give oversight to the church, to provide leadership to the church, um, primarily through what Scripture has revealed. And so, elders are in large part responsible for the the, the teaching of the church because, um, you know, as a church seeks to live life faithfully in confession and living, you know, if, if the elders don't do a good job clarifying what it looks like to, to live faithfully in, in, in life and doctrine, um, then the church as a whole suffers for it. And so, church, mm-hmm. so the elders are responsible for, for leading in that way and for, and for providing a particular, uh, care and oversight for the whole church. What about a staff person? Well, the, the staff of our church uh, facilitate the work of ministry so that um, they, they make it easier for the church to do the work, to do the work of ministry. And so that, that can happen in, in just personal encouragement. It can happen through uh, coordinating welcome events or fellowship meals, uh, the staff do a really good job, I think, setting the table for uh, individual members to do the work of ministry. And last but not least, our deacon. What's a deacon's main job or responsibility? Deacons take on practical responsibilities to uh, to encourage the, the unity of our church and to uh, 
make sure all of the practical things that need to be done get done so that the members of our church uh, both have opportunities to serve and uh, or don't have to worry about certain things in order so that they can serve and love well. Well done. Hey, Anthony, thanks so much for having this conversation on who's in charge and uh, who has authority in the church. Um, yeah, you, you did great both as a church member, as an elder. Weren't you a deacon at one point here as well? Or did you hold the office of deacon here at Henson? Uh, I was I was very close to being nominated as a deacon. And then you were nominated as an elder. Yes. Yes, that's right. Yeah. But uh, thanks, brother, for having this conversation. Thanks for teaching the class to some of our uh, incoming members or newer members a few weeks ago. I uh, hope this, this conversation will be useful.